Hi everyone, this is Rock from StageInTheSky.com and with this one, I know it's going to be a touchy subject because it's going to likely stir up passion from believers and non-believers alike. Um, first and foremost, I encourage everyone to do your due diligence and don't just take what I'm about to say at face value, but I encourage everyone to read the Bible, read the word for yourself, to come to your own conclusions. Don't just rely on what your parents told you or even what your pastor told you. You're responsible for you. And if you're the type who simply saw the title of this video and was compelled to drop a comment without even watching, um, you're more than welcome to do so. Um, but I encourage someone to comment that person to watch the whole video because it's likely that I address some of the major concerns in the matter. All right, all that said, let's get it. All my life, I believe that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. All right, that shouldn't be a controversial statement, but I'm really gonna get into what, what, what do we mean by the Son of God, okay? Because about three years ago, um, I was told that Jesus Christ was not only the Son of God, the way I think of, okay, well, I have a father, you know, and I'm his son, you know, so they're two different people. But I was told that Jesus Christ was actually God himself in the flesh, as in incarnate. Kind of alarming. He's like, was I wrong this whole time? In this essay, I'm going to break down my pursuit of the truth. And mind you, everything that I'm about to reveal is just my interpretation of the scriptures, right? It's more than possible that I am wrong in everything I'm about to say here. Um, but as a Christian, I believe it's my responsibility to learn and make a decision about what I believe is the truth. Thus, when I stand before God, it won't be with this wishy-washy, indifferent attitude. Well, I heard this and I heard that, but I'm not entirely sure what to believe. So, I, you know, whatever way goes. No, it's not going to be like that. Like, I've read the scriptures for myself. I saw the evidence. I saw both sides of the argument and I came to a conclusion. So just to give you a little background about who I am, I'm 35 year old black Christian man born here, born and raised here in the States. I've never been to any kind of Christian college or theocratic school. I'm not a member of any specific designated church or congregation and I have no de denomination. And that's not the slight organized religions. I know God loves assemblies. I'm just a man, a regular nine to five man who decided to pick the Bible and read it cover to cover on his own. It took two years, but I did it to learn, and I did it to learn for myself why things are the way they are. How did it come to this? Is there any hope? What should I do? What is right? What is wrong? Stuff like that. That's the, that's the point of reading the Bible. And in the, that whole process, I also developed a relationship with our Heavenly Father. Um, in English terms, we call him Jehovah, also known as Yahweh, um, El Shaddai. He has different names, but if you hear me say Jehovah, I'm talking about the, you know, the God of Abraham, Isaac, Moses, who gave us Jesus Christ, who died for our sins. So why am I questioning who Jesus Christ really was? Like, what was the point of that? Like, how do you, you know, grow up with a Christian foundation and then at the age of 30, you just start wondering, you know, who really is Jesus Christ? And the answer to that is because of a Lutheran. All right, so back in 2017, I was 30 years old and having read the Bible in its entirety, I had made up my mind to find a wife, but not just any wife, but a Christian woman. You know, when you're, when you commit yourself to Christ and you decide to live by Christ's standards, it's important for you to find a woman or like if you're a woman, it's important for you to find a man who's also living by Christ's standards, you know, and that's easier said than done in today's woke secular culture, you know, um, unless you're part of a congregation, you know, like if you grow up and you're born and raised in a congregation, yeah, you're more likely to find someone who is of the same denomination. You know, I was looking for a congregation is what I'm saying. Um, it's like, how do you pick and choose? Like, how do you find that one? Not to mention, even if you do find a, <laughs> not to mention, even if you do find a congregation or a religion that says, okay, I like what they're talking about. I'm very self-aware. Even if I joined a new congregation, I go to that church to worship God, sure. But it'd be impossible for me to ignore my own ulterior motives for being there, and that's to find a beautiful mate. 
I had already been called a creep and accused of sexual harassment in my 20s through misunderstandings and straight up malicious assaults on my character. But in this case, I fear it would really have been creepy, you know, to go to a church and, okay, yeah, I'm learning this message, but then, all right, let me scan the room right quick and see, and are you beautiful women in here? It's like a hawk on a perch, you know, looking over a congregation for pretty women. And I've been told by other men, hey, but that's what you gotta do. That's what everyone does. I'm like, yeah, but once you've been called a creep and women have actually accused you of sexual harassment, it does have a way of hindering such boldness, you know? I can, don't wanna get off too, but my dad, was down here a couple of months ago, and he's like, Rock, I wish you just had the courage to just walk up to ladies. I'm like, yeah, but dad, I've been accused of crap. You know, that hurts. <laughs> you know, that's, it's just, it's just a terrible situation, and I'm really reluctant to repeat it. So I needed to join a congregation where my mind was focused, not on the women, but on a theocratic message at hand. But which congregation? Which church? There are churches and congregations everywhere. So many different types of Christianity. It's like Kung Fu, you know, it's like different beliefs of the same core religion. That's, um, that's how I usually describe, you know, Christianity when there's Lutherans and Calvinists and Methodists, you know, this is all Christianity, but they're different styles, so to speak. Then it was just by chance that, um, this is back in 2017, I came across this Netflix documentary about the reformer Martin Luther. Martin Luther was a German professor who was ordained as a priest, but eventually he rejected several practices by the Roman Catholic Church, such as, such as indulgences. And an indulgence is a written document that um, people they could buy from the church that would absolve them from, from a particular sin. Back then, the scriptures were mostly written in Greek and Hebrew and Latin. So anyone who didn't understand the language, they mostly had to rely on priests to tell them what was written in the Bible. Martin Luther, however, he could read it. And he challenged the Pope's authority, and thanks to him, the Bible was translated so that common people could read it. And this led to a widespread reformation that changed the face of the entire European continent. Huge debates broke out all throughout the land and Christianity was split from Catholics to people who protested against them, hence Protestants. Martin Luther, I dare say, he reminded me of myself the way he, he questioned the practices and the ideology of his own religion. So, you know, it was around that time, 2017, I sought out, you know, the local Lutheran pastors in my area and I, because I wanted to gain greater insight and I had hoped that, okay, Lutherans, that, that sounds familiar, you know, I could probably you know, find a congregation and find a home. You know, that's what I was looking for. So I met with this Lutheran pastor. It was on a Sunday afternoon and it was for like for four hours at a Starbucks. I spoke with this guy. He was like a young Lutheran pastor. He had to be in his late thirties. He's white, married, he had three daughters. And it was a lively discussion where we agreed on so much. And he was even kind enough to help me understand the nuances of Lutheranism. You know, he gave me Martin Luther's autobiography, which I read, um, but it was here during this discussion that he mentioned something that set me on a three-year journey. He told me that Jesus Christ was God himself. And I was like, yeah, you know, he's the son of God, not God himself. And he's like, no, no, no. Jesus was God in the flesh. And I'm like, what's that now? And he used the Bible to take me to John chapter one, where it reads, in the beginning was a word and the word was with God and the word was God. He said that the word referred to Jesus Christ. Thus, Jesus Christ was God based on John chapter one, verse one. And I mean, he even pulled out a Greek Bible and he showed me different languages and he, cause he went to a theocratic school. So, you know, I, you know, I mean, I, he had no reason to lie, but you know, it just blew my mind. It was a scary notion. This whole time, my entire life, I read that Jesus Christ was the son of God. So I literally thought of it as, well, I have a father. I am my father's son. It's the same with Jesus. 
Jesus is Jehovah's son, Jehovah being the father, you know? I, I mean, I'm not my father, so Jesus Christ is not like, is not Jehovah. You know, there's, these are two separate people. That's what I believed until this guy told me that Jesus Christ was God in flesh. So, was I wrong this whole time? I couldn't ignore a mystery this big. If I claim to be a Christian and, you know, I believe in having conviction in your heart when you stand before God, I had to, you know, I had to act on this. I had to look it up. Why is this important? Why is this important? Why, why what is it, what's the big deal? You know, um, and I point that out because there are nuances in the Bible and differences where, you know, like Jehovah Witnesses, they believe that Jesus Christ died on a stake, meaning an upright pole, whereas pretty much every other Christian believed that he died with his arms spread out in, in a crucifix, um, being crucified. And I, you know, I argue with my parents because they're Jehovah Witnesses. I'm like, that doesn't matter. You know, Jesus Christ died for our sin. Whether he died upright pole or crucified, it doesn't matter. That's that's one of those small nuances that I really don't think has any bearing on us entering the kingdom of heaven. However, when it comes to whether Jesus Christ is the Son of God or God in the flesh, that's a pretty big deal. All right. In the New Testament, Jesus says that all who accept him will be saved. This whole time, I thought he meant that all who repented, accepting him as the Son of God, who died for our sins. But what if he really meant all who accept that I am God? Hmm. If Jesus Christ is God himself and I don't accept that he, or if I don't believe it, am I really accepting Christ? That would be really bad. However, if Jehovah the Father is God and Jesus Christ is a separate entity, and yet I put Jesus Christ on the same footing as Jehovah himself, I thought that would be disrespectful as well. So I had choices to make, man. I had to investigate. There's a lot of confusion here, right? And if, if I speak really fast in this, this video, um, there's a link down below. So feel free to click on that link so you can just read the words in, in case like it sounds like I'm butchering and you can't really make what I'm saying. Out of all the Bible books, the book of John is probably the most spiritual in asserting that Jesus Christ defended divinity as God himself. And I knew that going in. So when I started reading the Bible a second time, like I read it the whole way through from 28, from the age of 28 to 30, and then from 30 to, I just finished this past year, 2021. So for four years, I started reading a second Bible. This is a study Bible. It has more intense verses. And um, as I started reading it the second time, you know, I prayed for wisdom and understanding. I would look for things that contradicted what I believed my whole life. Um, and I asked that God stopped in my heart, you know, that I may know the truth. If I was wrong and what I believed my whole life was inaccurate, I prayed for the strength to accept the truth and embrace it. This isn't easy, ladies and gentlemen, it's not easy. The pursuit of the truth, it sounds all virtuous and admirable, but it's a harrowing feat. I've been in so many debates where people have said, you know what, if you were born a Muslim and someone started talking about Jesus Christ, you rejected because you, you were taught Islam your whole life. It's about being loyal to the God that you know. It's a difficult argument to counter, you know, like I can't imagine what it's like to be born a Muslim and then have someone teach me about Jesus Christ and then, you know, be converted to Christianity. It's, it's really difficult. Um, thankfully, God understands this though. I think Romans chapter 14, teaches us that we'll be judged based on our convictions as individuals. Jehovah knows our hearts. It's my own personal belief that God's not going to be like, oh, you thought Jesus Christ died on a cross? Nope. He actually died on a stake. You got that wrong, so you're out. No, it's what's in your heart. You know, what's in your, what's your heart telling you? What's your convictions, you know? If God sees us actively seeking the truth with earnest intentions to draw closer to him, I don't believe he'll judge us so harshly even if we're mistaken about the details, so long as we get the essential message. It's like taking a great leap into an abyss, and that abyss is called faith. 
I believe whether I'm right or wrong, God won't let me die when he sees the honest and virtuous intentions that I'm trying to do by writing this essay, by sharing what I know through this video. With this in mind, the anxiety and trepidation is quelled a bit as I open my heart to handle these interpretive challenges, and that's what they are. When you read the scriptures, and there's a lot of allegory, there's a lot of um, romantic, poetic language, you know, where it's not explicitly saying, do this, do that, it's, it is an interpretive ch challenge. And I think that with Jehovah on your side, when you pray for the wisdom to understand it, I think it becomes a little bit more clearer. So here's what I've concluded and why. I believe there is only one God. Christianity is a monotheistic religion. Jesus Christ and Jehovah are separate entities. God's name is Jehovah in English. Yahweh in the Hebrew language, there have been other titles to describe him, such as Jah, the Grand Creator, or El Shaddai, which means God Almighty. But as an English speaker, I refer to him by his name Jehovah. I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God, the first being God ever created when he said, let there be light. And that's at John 3:19 and Genesis 1:3. Thus, Jesus Christ is a separate entity. I believe that Jesus Christ was with Jehovah from the very beginning. Jesus was there with God when all things were created. Thus, Jesus has the most intimate knowledge of God than anyone else that ever existed. Before Jesus came to us in the flesh, he was in heaven with God. Some say that he was an angel. Some say that he was the archangel Michael. All I know is that he is Jesus. In that essence, it makes sense to read rhetoric like at John 14 where he explains in, to his disciples in verse 7, If you had known me, then you know my Father also. From now on you do know him and have seen him. The rest of that chapter makes a strong case of Jehovah and Jesus being the same. I get it. However, the issue is that I've seen far more scriptures that support the idea that Jesus Christ will be sitting at the right hand of God, implying two separate persons. I've seen too many scriptures where Jesus and his disciples had the opportunity to blatantly and distinctly confirm that Jesus Christ was God himself in the flesh, but on almost every occasion they referred to him as the Son of God or the Son of Man. I believe in the infinite wisdom and intelligence of Jehovah. With that in mind, one has to wonder this. If Jesus was truly God himself incarnate, why didn't he ever come out and say that? If he was truly God himself incarnate, why did he constantly refer to himself as the Son of God? We know that Jesus loves to minister in parables. But he always explained those parables to his apostles, which we have the benefit of reading through, reading about through the Bible. Thus, after years of reflection and prayer, the rhetoric such as where Jesus says, whoever has seen me has seen the Father, is an affectionate figure of speech, illustrating how close and united Jehovah and Jesus are. Semantics. That's the key. In the book of John and other books, Jesus explains emphatically that he and Jehovah are of one accord. They're like perfect teammates who have the same goal, same personality, the same wants and desires, and they think the same way. But always, Jesus' will is to obey the Father. I believe that next to Jehovah himself, Jesus is the most powerful entity in existence. He will be given, he's been given authority in almost all matters, such as knowing what's in a man's heart, what he's thinking, resurrecting others, power over the elements like the wind and the sea, healing, and much more. However, he's limited in other matters, such as the time in which Jehovah will cause heaven and earth to pass away. That's at Matthew 24, 36. And believing that Jesus Christ is so powerful, it led to me having a bit of more resentment towards this world a little bit, you know, because Jesus Christ was sinless. He was a perfect human being. Um, and unlike the many innocents who are murdered or kidnapped and sold into sex trades, Jesus Christ, he was something more remarkable because he had, I mean, can you imagine having the ability to instantly call, cause your would-be killer to burst into a million pieces? But you didn't. You let your killer kill you because it's what God, 
this might be a terrible analogy, but it's what God wanted, right? So Jesus didn't come to receive glory from human beings. He came only to please God. He comes in God's name, so people rejected him. But if he came in his own name, like Alexander Great, they'd accept him. This is due to their own wicked hearts, human beings. I believe humans have a tendency to admire those who are doing what they wish they could do. It's the same with all these celebrities out here, you know, where they're pretty much living these wicked lifestyles and they're being photographed and they propped up as heroes and cultural leaders. It's like, wow, I wish I could do that too. And it just shows the wickedness of your own heart. The most powerful thing I've come to learn in grasping who the Lord Jesus Christ is, is that any time he could have obliterated his annoying enemies. Yes, they were annoying, not devastating, not formidable, just annoying. Because Jesus Christ had the power of God, Jehovah of armies. He had the power to resurrect, to cast judgment. He helped God create everything just by speaking the words. At any time, he could have turned his enemies into dust. The Romans who were scourging him with the whip, he could have burned them alive in an instant. The crowd of Jews that were spitting on him and beating him as he was carrying the cross through the crowd, Jesus could have unleashed a pride of lions to tear them apart, much like the bears who mauled the 42 children who were antagonizing Elisha. That's at 2 Kings 2, 23-25. Read that. That's pretty enlightening. Instead, Jesus endured. He put up with us human beings. He led by example to show us what love is, washing the feet of his own disciples. This is what makes him great. Sacrificial love. Possessing the power to dominate and control everything inside, yet defers the love, the compassion, to heal, and encourage, to try to save the hand that's slapping you in the face. I strive to be more like that because I confess, I, I mean, that's one thing I struggle with, and that's a lack of compassion towards human beings that keep making the same mistakes. It's true. I resented them. I wish I didn't, but I do. I am now walking towards the light. I don't reject the light, but it's tough. One change I've come to accept which was different from the first time reading the Bible, is that it's okay to view Jesus Christ and Jehovah as equals. John chapter 5 is a good chapter to read about that. John 5.18 and John 5.23 explicitly have Jesus putting himself on equal footing with Jehovah. Still, Jesus will be at God's right hand. But at verse 23, he says, All may honor the Son just as they honored the Father. This was, I confess, a bit difficult to swallow, but I accepted it. I have to, because it's what Jesus Christ himself said, according to the Apostle John. And to dismiss this truth would make me no better than the feminists who want to disregard Paul's letter to Timothy about wives submitting to their husbands, and I don't believe in picking and choosing what I want from the Bible just to serve my agenda. That is one of the greatest follies as Christians and pastors throughout history, that they have used it to their advantage. Another reason why I encourage the personal responsibility to read about the Bible is, you know, instead of relying on hearsay, is so that you can avoid being misled in that regards. So, what don't I believe, and why? Right, and then this is gonna... If I, if I said anything that sounds offensive, or it sounds like I'm attacking your faith, or... Dis, I, I apologize, I'm not trying to be offensive, I'm not trying to be controversial. I'm just speaking my truth and what I've learned. Um, feel free to leave a comment, and um, I appreciate you listening so far. So here's what I don't believe when it comes to Jesus Christ, and here's why. I don't believe that Jesus Christ was God incarnate. At any time, Jesus Christ could have plainly stated that he was God himself, but never did. Instead, he continuously referred to himself as the Son of God, the Son of Man, the one who will be sitting at the right hand of God, among other titles. And I have a list of scriptures right here that you can check them all out. Um, in the Garden of Gethsemane, and even on the cross, he speaks to Jehovah another person and this is probably the strongest 
evidence I found that really supports my belief that they're two separate entities. At Matthew chapter 26, verse 36 to 46, Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane on the same night that he was to be betrayed into the hands of the Jews. And Jesus Christ said, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. That is one of the most powerful, powerful scriptures in the Bible. Man, I cannot tell you how many times I've been faced with dilemmas and past to taking this life, you know, where I wanted to do something and I knew that it could get me a certain goal, but I also knew that, you know, Jehovah wouldn't appreciate it. From what I read in the Bible, you know, where there's um, the sins that that's listed at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 through 11, you know, like this is what it means to put God first, you know, not as I will, but as you will. You put God first and family and country. That is the motto in the South when I was growing up. In John 17, too, Jesus prayed to God and he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom, have given to, whom you have given him. Again, I may be wrong. It may very well be that God denied me the sight of truth. But from what I read, what this tells me is that Jesus Christ is talking to another person. Jesus is talking to our Heavenly Father, Jehovah. In John 17, 2, Jesus clearly implies that the authority was given to him by another. In my research, I also discovered that there's a word. It's called Arianism. And I have to, I mean, you got to look it up on the screen right now because it sounds very close to the Arianism of Germans, which you don't want to be associated with. But this word, Arianism, um, no doubt, I mean, just from my research, no doubt I would have been burned at the stake if I was living in dark ages. Except I don't agree wholeheartedly with the definition provided on the link of Wikipedia page. The Wikipedia page says that Arians back then, they believed that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Um, but I don't refer to Jesus as God, only that he was given the power and authority by God, Jehovah. Some people have described when it comes to, you know, Jesus Christ and God being the same person, they say that God is the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And these are three parts of one person. Again, I may like lack the sight and maybe God just didn't bless me with the clarity, but from the life of me, that just doesn't make sense. Thus, I don't believe in the Holy Trinity. In my reading of the Bible, I've, I haven't come across that term anywhere. Just like I haven't come across the seven deadly sins. And I remember before I even read the Bible, I mean, that's a popular thing. The seven deadly sins, sloth, envy, all of that. But it's nowhere to be found in the Bible. It sounds like all of these were implied concepts created by human beings based on their interpretation of the Bible. It doesn't mean that the humans are wrong for creating these concepts. At the same time, you'll find it difficult to make me feel guilty of, for not adhering, not adhering to these these concepts like the seven deadly sins or the Holy Trinity. You know, if it's not in the Bible, basically you've created this based on what you read in the Bible, which is fine if you, you want to go with that. But to say that everyone else must believe what you believe because you derived this concept from the scriptures, I think is not right. And I say that. Um, based on what I've read from Jesus Christ talking to the Pharisees. Um, there's a scripture, I don't have it right here, but this is just off the whim. But Jesus Christ, you know, he talked about the Pharisees putting too much burden on the people. Basically, um, as I'm gonna get into with Malachi, after the book of Malachi, there's 400 years where there were no prophets. And, and during that time, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, I think that was the name of it, um, they created all of these traditions and all of these, oh, this is what you need to do, and all these rules for people. And I think when you put too much, when you create too many, too many of these rules that you created yourself, like God didn't tell us, but these are rules that you created based on what you read from the law. You know, you put you put too much burden on people. 
And I think when it comes to Christianity, it's the same way. A lot of people think that to live a Christian life, you have to live like a monk. And it's not, it's not true, you know? Um, I think the reason why a lot of like my generation, they turn, they're turned off from the scriptures is because, you know, it, from what they read, it's too strict. And it, it's not. I mean, I, I've already started, I've written an essay called The Top 10 Ways the Bible Changed My Life, and I'm gonna do videos of them, but it's not. Like, everything that I've read in the Bible makes sense, and it's to help us as a society. And when you disregard that, Dennis Prager was talking about in the Bible, his book, uh, Exodus, um, The Rational Bible, last night, that when you forget why you have these customs, when you forget what's happened in history, you essentially, you essentially died. You know, as a nation, if you, you're a nation that forgot, you know, your own history, you know, and then that's why you hear people say, oh, you know, it's 2021, it's now more racist than things ever were, have been. It's like, nope, that's not true. Try going back to 1821, you know, and if you don't know that history, then you basically, your whole nation's died. And it's like a nation with amnesia, you know, and you're going to continue to make the same mistakes. Okay, I'm getting way off script, but I just had to point that in there. I do believe that Jehovah and Jesus Christ, they're separated, you know, these are two separate individuals, two separate persons, two separate entities, but they're united. I believe the Holy Spirit is a term referring to God's power. I know people don't like to compare it to Star Wars or Force, but that's the simplest way to describe it. There are scriptures that say that, you know, Jesus Christ says, hey, you know, he's going to send them um, an advocate or an attorney to, you know, when he's talking to his disciples before his passing, before he died. And I think, honestly, from my, from my interpretations, I, I believe that was Apostle Paul. You know, I mean, I could be wrong. And I mean, from what I've, I've seen other videos and other um, pastors say that that advocate that Jesus said that he was going to send them was the Holy Spirit. Maybe. I, I don't think so. But and again, this is not one of those things where we're going to be kicked out of the kingdom of heaven if you don't, if you get this detail wrong. The Holy Spirit, to me, is not some sentient entity acting out on its own. If the Holy Spirit is part of God as a person, then one could argue that all angels who act according to God's will are the same as God, and I don't believe that's the case. All angels as in, are individuals, just like Satan, where at any time, like us, they could choose to disobey. You know, Jesus Christ, when he was tempted by Satan, hey, you know, if you fall down and worship me, I'll give you all this stuff. You know, Jesus Christ had a choice right there. He could have said, you know what, this sounds enticing. I'm going to go ahead and disobey God. But he chose to do what's good in God's eyes. And, you know, Satan and his wicked demons, they're individuals too. And I must say, when it comes to Jesus Christ and God being the same person, um, it does come dangerously close to sounding like a polytheistic religion to assume that Jesus Christ and Jehovah are both gods even when it comes to the Holy Trinity and I know that sounds I'm really not trying to sound disrespectful but there's no softer way to put it without you know giving my honest thoughts across even if you use semantics like oh they're not three entities but simply three persons all in one it just comes off too close as to polytheistic um, there are some who would say that Jesus Christ is the human version of Jehovah, but again, I disagree. Mainly because of, you know, the Garden of Gethsemane where he's talking about, let your will be done, not mine. And then, of course, when he was on the cross and he's, you know, crying out to God. It, I mean, like, again, maybe I just don't have the clarity that God didn't bless me with, but, like, who's he talking to on the cross? I mean, he's talking, I mean, how do you... How do you explain that? That he's talking to himself? Is that what you're trying to tell me? I just don't believe that. 
Even so, there's a reason why people believe in the Trinity. There are scriptures to suggest that Jesus and Jehovah, they are the same person, meaning I'm not totally dismissive. So when I hear people say, oh, the Trinity is real and you know, they are the same person, I don't look down on these individuals because that's just their interpretation of the scriptures. There are scriptures that imply it. Um, and I've been collecting those, you know, like I said, I started reading the Bible a second time. So I look for the scriptures that go against what I originally believed. Um, and perhaps the biggest supporter of this is John chapter one, verses one through three. It says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. Another other scriptures that suggest the idea are Luke 20:18 that quotes Isaiah 8 verse 13 through 15, where it appears that Jesus and Jehovah are both referred to as the stone. There are other scriptures in the New Testament, like Luke 5:20, that has Jesus showing the authority and power of God, such as forgiving sins and raising people from the dead, and even controlling elements like walking on water and stopping storms with His words alone. But again, Jesus clearly states that He was given such authority by another. And you might sit, and you might have noticed I'm doing a good job pointing out all the scriptures that suggest the opposite of what I believe. And that's because, honestly, there's not that many, as opposed to the majority of the New Testament that supports my belief that they are separate, i.e. the Son of God. Even as I write these words, I'm trying my best not to offend. I don't think it's foolish for people to believe in the Trinity. Um, and just as I've read the scriptures that suggest that Jesus Christ is God incarnate, the fact, the fact of the matter is that I've just simply read more scriptures that plainly state that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, separate yet united. While the scriptures that suggest that they are one, they're merely implied, it's allegory, it's figurative language. For instance, in the above scripture at John verses, chapter 1 verse 1 through 3, it's widely believed that the word is referring to Jesus. I believe this as well. However, God is capitalized in this English Standard Version. The scriptures were originally written in Greek. This article that I have linked down below, it goes on to detail and explain how the original Greek language doesn't have, and the word was with God. And it's the definitive text. Instead, it suggests that the word was a God, metaphorically speaking. This is the first time in the Bible that the word God, lowercase, is used to describe someone. In Psalms 82.6, the author refers to the judges as gods, metaphorically speaking. And metaphor, I mean, I'm assuming that everyone knows what a metaphor is. That means that it's not literal. You know, I mean, some examples are um, he's buried in a sea of paperwork or uh, his heart of stone surprised me. You know, he's not literally buried in a sea of paperwork as in watery sea of paper and no one's heart is made out of stone. You know, it's, it's just, it's a figure of speech. And in John 10, 36, when Jesus Christ is confronted by an angry mob because they thought he was making himself God, Jesus never confirms that he himself is God, but he always refers to himself mainly as the son of God, the son of man, the light. He does say in verse 38 of the same chapter that the father is in me and I am in the father. But again, I believe this is a metaphor in reference to their unity. The same way Jesus says at Mark 10, 8, and in the numerous scriptures that when a man and woman get married, the two become one flesh so that no longer, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. Clearly they're not just one flesh, um, but one married. So then why is the belief in the Holy Trinity so prevalent? Why are people so keen to believe that Jesus Christ is really God incarnate? And that's because of Catholicism. Many people think that Catholicism and Christianity are the same thing. But in truth, Catholicism is a form of Christianity. You could say it's a the first, or you might even say it's the oldest 
Um, after Paul and Peter, they began establishing congregational churches and John around the Mediterranean, Mediterranean area, area as the first generation Christians. But to say that Catholicism and Christianity are all the same and Catholicism speaks for all of Christianity, that would be inaccurate. Alright, so I'm going to be really tactful here because I got some things to say about Catholicism that's not going to be very flattering. So if you're a Catholic and you're listening to this, please believe that I'm not trying to hurt your feelings or disrespect your religion. Alright, um, in my opinion, while Catholicism may be a form of Christianity in the sense that it's a religion that accepts Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior who died for our sins so that we may be saved, the background of Catholicism, well, is founded in Rome. Ancient Rome has a deep, long tradition of polytheistic beliefs. Nowhere in the Bible have I found the directions of praying to a specific human beings that the church deem as a saint. Instead, Jesus encouraged us to speak directly to God in prayer and make sure that we pray to Jesus Christ, who is our deliverer, a messenger for us. Forgive me, but there seems to be a lot of traditions and spiritual rites not found in the Bible, but they're practiced by the Catholic Church. When I'm saying that there, I'm talking about, um, like, all of these uh, new practices and new traditions, you know, like if it doesn't say in the Bible that you have to pray to some saint that, you know, was founded or um, venerated back in 1800, you know, that you shouldn't be doing that. You know, I mean, you can if you want to, but you're not obligated to by God because it's not in the Bible. Um, so we human beings, we have a habit of making up our own rules and customs. It's just unfortunate that it's often done in the name of God, which often creates depression, guilt, frustration, and oppression all on a single individual where it otherwise wouldn't have been. Not to mention the powers that be, which use the man-made customs to exert the control. And just to give you a little bit of background, that was one of the things that used to bother me and I used to hate about religion growing up is because Jehovah's Witnesses, they, they didn't just have church on Sundays, but they had meetings on Monday night and Wednesday night. And then on top of that, you had to prepare by reading this Watchtower magazine. And it's like, for me, that was too much. You know, my time was very sacred back then. And my parents, well, my brother, my older brother, I mean, they're, they're not the same people now. You know, so if I'm talking about them in a negative light, they're not the same Jehovah's Witnesses they used to be. Um, but they used to make me feel so guilty about not doing things Jehovah's Witnesses way. Oh, well, God gives you 365 days a year. You trying to tell me you can't take one afternoon? I'm like, it's too much. I don't want to do this. So basically, you're guilting me into studying these watchtowers and going to these meetings when I'd rather be doing something else, like recharging for the next day or enjoying some semblance of a childhood. <laughs> Um, I wasn't, alright, so I wasn't born into Joe Witnesses. That should give you some background. If I was born and raised Joe Witnesses, I probably wouldn't have, it wouldn't, probably wouldn't have been so rough because all I would know is Joe Witness lifestyle and that system of beliefs. But instead, from child, from birth to the age of like 11, I was celebrating birthdays and Christmas and holidays. And then at the age of 11, my parents said, no, we're gonna, we're Witnesses now and we're gonna stop all that. So yeah, of course it was rough. Not to mention I'm a guy and I'm naturally rebellious and defiant. So telling me I can't do something and you know using religion to guilt me into submission, that was rough. When it comes to praying, I'm sorry, that was off script. Um, but hopefully that you know shares that I'm not just trying to tell you all this stuff to you know oppress you or even when it comes to these essays, I'm not trying to make people feel downtrodden, but to encourage you to read the scriptures yourself that's all these that's the point of all of my essays 
you know, the journey to draw close to God is your journey, your, your personal effort. It's not something that's handed to you. It's something that you have to take. You have to believe and to put forth an effort. You have to read. If you can't read, click on videos. There's audio of it, you know, and that basically you have to put forth effort. You can't just sit back and let everyone tell you this, is what you got to believe and you go to church because someone drove you there and this would believe and then you leave and then, okay, it's back to business as usual. When it comes to praying to the Holy Trinity or praying to saints, I see similarities in which the Romans and the Greeks, all right, this is gonna sound brutal. I see similarities in which the Romans and Greeks used to worship, you know, the specific deities and uh, for, you know, for specific blessings, like the God of war, the God of harvest. And uh, there's a link that I have down below and it'll take you to a whole encyclopedia page of people who are deemed saints by the Catholic church. And most saints, they have this thing called patronage, in which people are able to pray to these specific saints and to intercede on their behalf to God. For instance, the Saint Colette of Corby, and that's to be considered the patron of women seeking to conceive, expectant mothers and sick children. If I'm wrong on any of this, if you're a Catholic and any of this sounds like I've just got it completely wrong, please, by all means, leave a comment. But this is what I've read, um, so I'm definitely I'm not above reproach, and I'm I'm love to be enlightened here. But from what I know, this is what I know. All right. So unless you teach me something differently, this is what I'm going by. Um, and I say it reminds me of Romans and Greeks because when I was in sixth grade, um, before I got you know my parents really got me deep in the Jehovah's Witnesses, I, I went on a binge. You know I was reading up all those Greek classics from the Iliad to Homer and the Trojan War and you know Hercules. Wow, you know the twelve labors of Hercules. You know and the 12 gods, the, twi the titans, you know, and the god of war, the god of the sea, you know, there are spe spe specific things, the Apollo, you know, Hermes, and people would pray to these specific, they're called myths, you know, so maybe they didn't pray or maybe not, but they're myths for a reason. Um, but they, well, I know the temples definitely existed, like Athena, wow, and Athens. Um, but one saint I remember reading about a couple years ago, her name was Saint Bernadette, and she claimed to have seen visions of the Virgin Mary at a grotto in 1858. 1858, that's just a couple of years before the Civil War, so it's not even in ancient times. In 1858, this woman, who called Saint Bernadette, claimed to have seen a Virgin Mary at a grotto. Her shrine was apparently, is apparently, you know, is visited by millions of pilgrims every year. Saint Bernadette is considered the patron of bodily illness, of lords, France, uh, shepherds and sh shepherdesses, and against poverty and people ridiculed for their faith. I'm sorry, again, all that sounds like idolatry to me. I don't want to offend the Catholic Church, but the Old Testament is rife with scriptures about how we shouldn't pray to any graven images, even if it is the image of Virgin Mary. And Jesus Christ warned us in Matthew chapter 24 verse 11 that many false prophets will appear and deceive many. But Rock, the Rock, the Bible was created by man. If you believe that the Bible was inspired by God, isn't it possible that the concept of the Holy Spirit and the seven deadly sins and the Holy Trinity and even the practice of praying to specific saints? Isn't it possible that all that's inspired by God? If you believe that the Bible is created by, inspired by God? Because, you know, it was created by man. It is possible. It'd be foolish and short-sighted for me for this, to say that's not possible. There are, there's a great many things, great many mysteries that have yet to be revealed to us as human beings. Even as I'm reading the Bible for my, oh, I just finished reading the second time. I'm reading, you know, Dennis Prager's um, Exodus right now. I'm learning things that I missed my first and second go around. This perennial education, it really is. There is no perfection. There is no, I know everything. There is no, there is no about God. There is none of that. You're always learning. 
Um, and it's an amazing thing, honestly, you know, like it's one of the coolest things about being alive is that you're always improving. But again, I've not seen evidence to support the conclusions of things like seven deadly sins or holy trinity or why individuals are deemed saints by the Catholic Church. I hope to learn more and to understand why. In fact, if anyone has a book they can recommend, not a catechism, but you know, a book about the history or, or its establishments. I'm CNN, they produce a mini series about the history of the Catholic Church and HBO Max. I'm watching that as we speak. Um, but yeah, I'd be, I'd be happy to feast on that. I Honestly, I, I love reading more about these things. And if I'm wrong, you know, I, I pray that God correct me. My opinions, everything I've said in this video, it may change based on what I learned. But at this point, and if I die tomorrow, I stand before God with these convictions. 